Have you ever ridden a horse? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I've been. Whoa, you laughed. Yeah. Okay, when's the last... Uh, all right, sounds like a lot of times that you've yeah, been I, on a I horse. used to ride it all the time when I was young. Oh, did your uh, grandpa have horses? Yeah, he had eight, he had eight horses. It was the smartest horse I've ever seen. How was it smart? Like, like that horse was, like, weirdly obedient to my grandfather. Like, he would... My grandfather, like, whistled. It didn't matter where it was. This fucking horse came out from the... My grandfather had a lot of land. This horse would, like, run. It would stop whatever it was doing. It was run right up to my grandfather. Wait, so he was basically Gandalf? And then yeah. Shadowmere or whatever his name is, just like yeah. Shadowfax comes in. Yeah, it was weird. Him. Or, like, if if the, the horse is freaking out and my grandfather, like, just looked at it, the horse would stop freaking out. It was weird. Hmm. Super intelligent. The horse would, like... It was the very first horse I saw that would, like sprawl out on its side and sleep on its side sprawled out which is not very common for horses to do either did did you ride it just for like would you walk out and go, i'm gonna ride the horse today or would he like go hey croiler we're gonna, we're no, gonna go no, just, just for fun you know there were times where he would have us like walk the horse like around just so the horse gets some exercise and stuff um but yeah no i've, I've ridden a horse when's the last time you rode a horse it was probably 12 13 it's been a while I would love to see you on a horse now. <laughs> you think I was any more uh, majestic back then than I am now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you're, just, you're definitely, as we've talked about before, you're a land mammal. And to you're good on t- your two feet. Well, let's be honest. You're good on a mat and two feet. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you stumble just walking around on, on flat ground. But uh, you on a horse, it'd be like... <laughs> What comes to mind, I keep seeing Planet of the Apes when, <laughs> when Caesar or like yeah. one of, or the orangutan yeah. comes by nice. on top of a horse. <laughs> I don't even get to be Caesar. I get to be the orangutan. God damn it. <laughs> you should be one of the Planet of the Apes for Christmas. Uh, for, yeah, for Christmas. For Christmas. Really throw people Shit. off. Just show up. Show up to the All right, today we are here. Who are we first? Let's start off the right way. We're back on schedule. We're doing things professionally. This is just jujitsu. And I am Andrew Desimone here with... Croyler Gracie. We are here, episode 39. And this episode is, I think, I would say it should be kind of near and dear to your heart. This is the wrist lock episode. Now... Wrist locks are something that, I don't know, to me they seem like the weird cousin of leg locks. Uh, (laughs) That's putting it nicely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's the cousin of leg locks that make a lot of people uncomfortable, but they don't really talk about it a whole lot. Yeah, most people can't do it right. Well, and I don't know if schools, I don't think I've been to a school where they've outright banned wrist locks. Oh, no, a lot of them. Uh, maybe not necessarily verbally, but they they don't dive into that part of the jujitsu, and and then it doesn't. It just basically it's a don't ask, don't tell. It doesn't get brought up. Nobody asks about it. There's no reason to show it, and we pretend it doesn't exist. So you being a avid and um, habitual wrist locker, when you go to a new school, 
when you're in a new place, do you go for wrist locks or do you just keep those kind of in your back pocket? Uh, it depends. What kind of mood am I in? I mean, usually I'll, I'll, I'll hit them and let go. Like I won't actually get a tap out of it. And if they're smart they're they realize that they were caught and let loose. And then it becomes this kind of thing. Like we make eye contact. There's a smirk that happens. We both know what, what just transpired and we're just moving on and we pretend nothing happened. Nobody else knows none the wiser. And then there's people that think that it was completely accidental and that it was just this weird position that their wrist kind of hurt. Wrist locks are so weird because they're it's like a battle that happens. Not even a battle. A lot of time it's just one-sided. It just it happens on almost the microscopic level. It's just very little, a very condensed area yeah. that, that just... I say there's not a battle because most, most of the time when I've been <laughs> wrist locked, it happens and I am tapping immediately and i never even was able to offer up any resistance right. it's it's very sudden very painful it goes from zero pain to shit's about to break is it because is it easier to break than other joints it's well it's a it's a weaker joint for sure it's also when it's very sensitive i mean you use your hands all the time so you develop sensitivity in your hands you know a lot of tactile senses there um so it's more sensitive it's easier to break it's unexpected right and and most people applying don't really know how to apply a wrist lock correctly and they overcommit. so it's like the white belt that doesn't know how to do an arm bar and hips in too hard you know so you have this trifecta of things that lead to to very fast tapping which must be why every time we do anything remotely close to a wrist lock in class you're always telling us be very slow careful and you you yeah. emphasize it over and over to just yeah because it's it's because i mean on your end like you don't feel like an arm bar like somebody's fighting an arm bar and you're hipping in like you know you're hipping into that arm bar and the person receiving knows that you're hipping into that arm bar with a wrist lock you drive a lot of power power into it it doesn't feel like anything on your end and all of a sudden the person at the bottom is screaming you know so it's it's so easy to do more because you feel less like when you're applying the technique i mean right and wrist locks are also something where you can accident one of the only submissions where you can accidentally Absolutely. put yourself in one yes that, that that's one of the most embarrassing things where let's i don't know i I've, it's happened to me before specifically being on my back and someone's inside control and i i i will have i like move my arm from like ne- down next to my side like up and then they just kind of push down, not even intending to, and and I just kind of wrist lock myself, and I have to tap, and they're, they're oh, like, yeah. what's wrong? I, I just tapped myself. Right, and then you just hang your head in shame. Why do you love wrist locks? Me? Let's start off there. Um, What happened to not, you at a young age where you like <laughs> wrist locks? <laughs> it's not so much that, that I love wrist locks. I do them all the time. Um, but it's, you know, I... Um, to be totally honest, I, I don't actually get as many taps with wrist locks anymore as I've gotten better at them. I do it every once in a while to get the tap. Most, most of the time it's to create a reaction that forces them to behave in a certain way. So, you know, if they're not expecting a wrist lock, I will hit it for sure. But sometimes, you know the wrist lock itself can be used as a means, as a catalyst to a better submission or a better sweep or a better transition or as a form of control. If you move a certain way, it doesn't feel very good. Therefore, you don't move that way. So now, are you not getting those submissions because 
people are aware of them or you're specifically thinking, I'm just going to use this as a tool to manipulate well, them. So like when we think of like, think of like submissions, like a, like an arm bar, that's a straight up 100% a submission. Like we're looking, the target is to break the elbow. And then you get into positions like a Kimura. Like we did an episode on Kimura, right? Where Kimura is a submission by design, but it can also be used as a form of maintaining control correct and we've talked about how we can use it to create you know back take opportunities leg lock opportunities you know passing guard opportunities etc sweeping opportunities the wrist lock much in that way where uh, Kimura retains control a wrist lock uh, doesn't necessarily retrain retain control but rather it creates um, one it throws a it throws a little bit of chaos into a person's plan because all of a sudden they weren't expecting it, so they have to behave in a way that they weren't planning on to a submission that they were not expecting. It's very sudden, which means that whatever plan of action they had gets thrown out the window momentarily. The second layer of the benefit of wrist locking is not only it throws them off, and now if you have mapped out the reactions to certain wrist locks, you know how they move, but they don't know how they're moving which then opens up different sweeps, different submissions, different transitions. And and so I, you know, I use wrist locks as a form of submission primarily, but um, I also take a lot of fun in using them to, you know, create a reaction that is unexpected for them, but very, very planned for me. So it is, it's kind of a, dis- it starts off, one, it's a disruptor, two, it's a- Catalyst for, for a positive, reaction for the person applying my question at first was why do you love wrist locks which the implication was there's something wrong with you for loving them now well why, yes i why <laughs> why is that that they have that like whenever people the, the, a running joke whenever you people roll with you who don't know you that well will be like oh your wrist locks and th- right. they'll send you memes and right. ton of thing about wrist locks and <laughs> oh that's I, they'll give you a hard time for it why, why do people kind of talk shit on wrist locks a lot oh that's a loaded question uh, if you're asking why they make fun of it when I used it is because I do it so often it, let's say let's say I'm rolling with somebody I don't really know right from a different school is visiting I'll wrist lock them this happened to me in Mexico where I I, I rolled with a certain person and um, in the camp in BJ in Paradise and uh, I wrist locked them 15 times in like a minute two minutes basically every time that they made contact with me I found a way to wrist lock them and and I, I didn't tap them 10 or 15 times right I, I wrist locked them I tapped them twice I think but and it was just to make sure that they understood that all the other times were not accidents they were not flukes their hands weren't just getting caught in a weird way and as soon as they as soon as it clicked for them they said i don't even want to touch you now (laughs) which i took a lot of joy from that because if you don't want to you know create a grip if you don't want to grapple me if, if you want to grapple anybody in any form of grappling gripping is like incredibly important and if you're afraid to grip i have a huge leg up right and then once you realize that my my wrist lock system disrupts a lot of orthodox behavior in jiu-jitsu things that you do in order to that you do that you're supposed to do becoming correct because of the application of wrist locks then it throws people off what made you with that person go for so many wrist locks 
Oh, I, I did it to everybody. I mean, they just <laughs> okay. they just happened to catch on. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that I tapped everybody all those times. I'm just saying that they caught on to, hey, this is not a fluke. Like these are, these are purposeful movements. Meanwhile, ten broken wrists later, they're not going to invite you back to the Mexican <laughs> trip. <laughs> no, I didn't break anybody's wrists. Um, uh, as far as to why wrist locks get, get such a bad reputation. Um, Man, that's a loaded question. Well, should we maybe jump back? You had mentioned a person. Yeah, Fred Sompachon. Yeah. Yeah, you you had when we talked about doing this episode, you texted me and just the only thing you said in like like prepping was just look up. Is it Fredson Pai hold on, Pai Zhao? Paishon. Through your nose, man. Through your nose. <laughs> you say that every time, but it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Speak through your nose. Paishon. That's not it, man. Like, don't breathe through your nose. Speak through Isn't it. speaking just breathing through your mouth with different... No. N- no, it's not. Paishon. <laughs> that was closer. What? That was ridiculous. The beginning was closer. Paishon. That, that, oh, that was good, but you went too far into the O. Paishon. 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 Louder through your nose. Paishon. Paishon. They're going to be bored listening to this. <laughs> no, I, I bet you people are listening right now going, Paishon. No, so he is a prime example as to why the stigma against Rislox started. Tell us a little bit about the stigma or him? Him. Him. Okay, so Fredson Paishon. Um, for for most American listeners, the Paishon was a you may you may have seen him in MMA. I believe he fought he fought in Japan. He fought I think even in the AFC. I'm not sure if I AFC. I think he had one or two fights. Yeah, like early on, you know, um, he he wasn't very successful in MMA. Um, so in America, I think the televised events, the more popular events, at least back then, this was you know late '80s, early '90s. Um, no, it might have been later than that. It might have been mid mid 90s when he was fighting MMA uh mid mid to late 90s is when he was fighting MMA I believe and then he um he his jiu-jitsu career was mostly late 80s all the way up to mid 90s and then mid 90s and up was MMA but so you know here in America he's probably more known as like a just a average Joe MMA fighter but when he was training when he was competing in jiu-jitsu actively competing in jiu-jitsu he was he built this infamy over um, being a wrist locker. In fact, he was the only active wrist locker of his generation that was, I mean, don't get me wrong, people were tapping to wrist locks during that time period, you know, outside of him. However, he has like a, an incredible like submission rate, you know, when you look at his proportions as far as like submissions go, he is very heavily cited on the wrist lock, you know, side of things. And he, has a second record, which happens to be like I think he's got the most broken wrists in competition out of. And anybody. here's where the <laughs> here's where the story starts to make yeah, sense. Yeah, and that's where like he be, he built this infamy where people he wasn't he was never the guy who was like first place in major tournaments. He wasn't like a top ranked guy in his weight class. He was always a guy that was at the podium though, um, and that was due to people if they if they competed against him being so gun shy to touch him or to do something stupid and get caught in the wrist lock that he could you know outperform them um or he would break their shit and it was one of those things where he, he'd break people's wrists left and right no pun intended um he just he he applied them with the full intent you know and, and i'm not saying he was right but he was a very 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 large influence 
to maintaining wrist locks is this, you know, the stigma against wrist locks. Now in training in, in the day to day or the average Joe doing jujitsu around that time, were they learning wrist, wrist locks? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they were. Um, maybe not heavily emphasized much like today wrist locks aren't very heavily in our school because of me but but most schools don't teach a lot of wrist locks um, or at least not properly anyways um so yeah i'm sure they were learning it um, especially back then because uh, self-defense was more um prevalent back in the late 80s early 90s than it is today especially back in brazil Right, that was the primary reason people went to jiu-jitsu wasn't for the sport or the fun but for self-defense so yeah i'm sure they were learning wrist locks but the, they were not applying it you know or it wasn't allowed or you know it was shameful to to apply a wrist lock so but that shame was it was it just stemmed from oh that, that's a stigma that came back i mean we can go back to like 50s 60s 70s okay um you know it was kind of like kind of came out of the same we did our foot our ankle lock foot lock mm-hmm. uh, leg lock episode where we talked about the stigma against leg locks roughly around that same time you know when we mentioned that um that there is a stigma against leg locks because it was seen as like a suburban or a um you know oh like poor, a poor like a technique. street yeah. style yeah you know and it was seen as like shameful because going for a leg lock meant that you were incapable of passing somebody's guard so it made you less and you're going for that cheap shot that mentality shifted very very quickly to wrist locking because you can wrist lock people as soon as they touch you and it's so sudden and it's so fast that people are like we weren't even rolling or, you know, we, we, we didn't have, haven't even started. And, you know, I, w- I didn't know we were going like that. And, mm-hmm. and then it became those things that you just, it's cheap shot. You know, you, you know, you, you're doing it for that quick tap. That I think hits the nail on the head for why people don't like it. It feels almost like a cheap shot a lot of times where I think the reason you feel that is because it seems like every time your wrist lock, you think, <laughs> was just a hair away from missing that yeah. or from evading that like oh you got lucky boom oh you got like i just i was just a millimeter away from right. moving, dodging that or, or if you didn't have that wrist lock i would have beaten you all over the mat you know you just happened to catch me you know unexpected i wasn't ready for it yes as opposed to we'll go back to the arm bar where you can there, there's a little bit of a battle. You think you have some room to move and fight. And if somebody gets you in an armbar, if they fought that battle and they get you an armbar, like you understand that you lost that battle and this is like this is what you're getting outside of that worry. In a wrist lock, you may not even recognize the battle. What would a match look like if both guys were just going for wrist locks? Um, neither would they just those- be slapped? slap fighting each other no no i think i think if both people are going for wrist locks you wouldn't see a wrist lock because if anybody they wouldn't touch each other they'd stand no actually they would but the thing is is like if if when you become when you become proficient with wrist locks it's just like anything right once you learn what an arm bar is you you learn to defend it right If if you become proficient with with wrist locks it's easy to learn to avoid them right um so then the person that would win in a match with both both people are only going for a slacks is going to be the person that gets creative with their application so that it's unexpected even more so unexpected okay now let's look at the mechanics of the wrist lock of i mean there's so many wrist locks but we talked about specifically with the leg locks or ankle lock episode the different types of 
ways to i think it was break the joint you had compression yeah. and extension same, same thing with same stuff same stuff yeah i mean you can hyperextend the wrist you can compress the wrist you can rotate the wrist i mean it's there and 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 you can do different kinds of rotation to the wrist so it's a the wrist you know if you really think of a joint your wrist is actually a pretty incredible joint you know it can it can move in just about any direction it has a good range of motion um it's functional in just about every range too and and because of its um range of motion and its ability to function everywhere else it can be broken in a lot of different ways too so yeah no, you can break it just about anyway you can hyperextend the wrist you can compress the wrist you can rotate the wrist and you can rotate it in different ways too from what position do you get most of your wrist locks uh what belt range because that makes oh, a difference okay that's interesting let's say white belt blue belt it's like newer people uh anytime they grab my collars okay so they stay and man, <laughs> yeah that sounds familiar <laughs> yeah usually i i i don't I avoid it as much as I can now because it's happened so many times. You're infamous for like slap, bump, and then we always just want to grab collars. Something. You're going to grab something. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I have many a time grabbed, just reached out, grabbed that collar, almost just involuntarily like this is what I do. And you it's probably it's kind of a good teaching method i think it's similar to when <laughs> teachers in the like early 1900s or the 1800s would have their long stick and they just knuckles. smack and they'd like hit you if you did like touch something like don't yeah. touch that it's kind of like you go for that collar and you're maybe not even thinking about it you're like eh, eh, and like you just get that little yeah. painful jolt yeah. and you're like yeah think about where you're putting your hands yeah right right right, right. okay so you get it there on the newer people uh, are you doing that is it is it a teaching moment? Is it? Well, at times, you know. Um, Am I putting too much in this? Or are you just being like, man, I just want to. <laughs> no, I mean, there's time, there it. there are, don't get me wrong. There are times where I'm just going for the tap, but there's also times where I'm using to create a reaction. You know, get a strong a strong person pulling their arm back. You know, they're retreating. Their energy is going backwards. I can use that to my advantage. Um, but I think, especially early on, and I'm not, and I don't do it f- for this purpose, but it, it does absolutely help it learning why are you gripping right i mean sometimes you, you grip a collar or you know for why like what was the purpose of that grip well i just thought i should grab that collar yeah why right if, if you don't have a, a why and you're moving in jiu-jitsu you're wasting movement you're wasting energy you're wasting opportunity you're wasting resources you gave up a, a, a grip for that you have to know why not if you grab the collar and you know where you're going generally speaking i won't get the wrist lock right because because you're going to be using that grip for something i remember one of the times i rolled with you is maybe my first year or two and you kept you'd like put your hand on my head yeah and you just like tap and i would i would like instantly like have to go up and grab it and like push it yeah. away and i think once you, you said something along the lines of why are you doing that just like ignore it. it's not it's not anything. It's not doing anything. Right. And, and when you said that, I realized, oh yeah, you, you're literally just distracting me and, and toying yes. with me. Right. And and that's maybe what the wrist lock when just kind of grabbing and right. pawing at a if unless you're grabbing with intention on right. that. Right. 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 Yeah, it's probably not good. Okay. So what about upper belts? Um, purples and browns. I'll get them in in positions that they 
think they're doing right, but they're not, you know, a lot of like incorrect framing or improper underhooking and things like that. Um, once we get to, when, uh, are you saying the underhooks from what position you side mount half okay. guard? doesn't really matter. What, what kind of, what, what are, what wrist lock are you putting together in that position? We do compression at that stage. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're push the palm to the, to the, uh, forearm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I, and I don't, I don't do it. I throw a, you know, I throw a trap out there and if they bite into it and they perform the technique incorrectly, if you do a proper underhook, there is no wrist lock. But if you do an incorrect one where you expose the elbow, there's definitely a wrist lock there. And then when you go to brown and black belts or the people that are a little bit more savvy, then it becomes a little bit more of rotational stuff. Like if they touch my hands or um, if they think, if they do the right technique, which is what drives most people nuts. And that's where I'd like to hope my whole wrist lock system was revamped. If they do the right technique. Yeah. So yeah, as an example, like in half guard, right? If you're in the bottom, you're taught to do a few things. Stay on your side, block the cross face, get the underhook, free the knee, etc., etc. What if I took advantage of you doing all the right things? And then all of a sudden, what you know that you should do, what is the correct thing to do, it becomes invalid or incorrect. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I do a lot of the black belts. And the black belts tend to be good enough to where... Um, I may not get the first wrist lock or the second wrist lock, but I may be successful in other ways. Maybe let's say in the half guard example, maybe I pass or get a different submission because of it. Or um, if they're stubborn, if they think it's a fluke and there's nothing really there, they will get caught and tap in the wrist lock. Now you said black belts doing the uh, doing the right things. You would hit the wrist locks there, and then you said that's how you developed your system. Yeah, I, I about two years ago, I actually, it started about two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, I, I um, started doing a different rotational wrist lock um, from the back, and I spent about, a, about six months to a year getting the technique down really well. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I created it by any means, I just stumbled on it and I sharpened it, maybe somebody else has done it before, I'm not sure. And then um, the after that year, I started thinking of the mechanics and how that I was applying because it was different than every other wrist lock I've, I've done before. And and I decided to to look into how can I apply those mechanics in different positions. And what it turns out is with a little bit of creative mindset and a little bit of trial and error. Um, I was able to, de- to develop it into a concept that can be applied in many, many different positions, most of which counterattack correct behavior in jiu-jitsu. What made you notice that specific spot being ripe for setting up a whole system? Well, at, fir- at first, it was just sheer curiosity. And in this, this spot, I'm saying, is it the one where you're basically on their back, you're sitting down there. So, so that one was an accident. I, I kind of stumbled in. I got a tap one day and it w- I wasn't expecting anything. They said it was the wrist. So I spent about a year working on that particular wrist lock, trying to get it to understand how it works, when it works, when it fails, how it would fail. And then once I had that down pretty good to where I was actively pulling it off in roles with people of all ranks, I then decided to look at the mechanics. Okay, so why? Because it's a very different mechanical application. 
how how can I apply this in other positions? And I I spent like I said I spent about two years, two and a half years working on it. And once I was able to put that together in in a a system of sorts, then it became very easy to apply everywhere. Is that system? Are, are you working on any risk lock systems now, or have you moved on to something else? Um, I, I'm. It's difficult because you guys are guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. So, um, all of you guys got risk locked through that system for about two to two and a half years, and you know it became those things where you guys are just kind of hip to it. You just knew it was coming. You're avoiding it, which is okay. Um, so as far as live practice, I don't do it as much in our school anymore. Um, I, I, I'm still getting me wrong. I'm always thinking of how can I apply it in other places or what else can, what else can I do with it? Um, but most of my application now comes from when I visit different schools or if, if I'm doing a seminar or something like that. So everyone listening who may have Croiler visiting your oh my school, God. <laughs> you will be the one who will be suffering through whatever horrible experiments he's running at the time. I would never do that. I, that, that face is so genuine. <laughs> uh, wrist locks we mentioned earlier, self-defense. Now, they're used, they're used more in self-defense. Why is that? Because of its properties, it's sudden, takes very little energy, anybody can do it. It usually helps at the very, very worst, helps break a grip, help you break free from a poor situation. Um, and and, and it, it, it's highly effective regardless of size. So it's an equalizer between all Absolutely. different types of people. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and wrist locks, um, much like shoulder locks, have are, are, are heavily, heavily used in most forms of grappling combat yeah. to some extent right one one very negative uh filter that i think is has been laid over wrist locks is how many ridiculous martial arts use use oh, I them know. yeah you know how many videos have you seen of people doing a quote-unquote wrist lock and the person they're doing it to like tumble like flips oh, through I the know. air that's <laughs> Does a part of you die every time you see that? Yes. You know, it, it to me is no different than, I don't know, it's it's hard, man. Like, you watch those things, you know, basically to me, it's like when you see, like, let's say let's say somebody who's a Muay Thai, like, you know, very Muay Thai, experienced Muay Thai fighter, and they see somebody in Sistema, which is like the, the weird Russian martial art where they're doing these weird punches and kicks and people get, like, knocked out and they fly across the room <laughs> i'm sure that's pretty much how they feel too yeah do you do you ever feel like that's like you're those guys doing the wrist locks like no. flying through the air no because i have never made anybody fly through the air from a wrist lock that would be really funny if your next seminar because you'll sometimes do wrist locks if they ask for the, yeah. for the seminar yeah, if they ask, you yeah. should show up with one of us and go all right guys here's the first one and just do something like that where and have you guys just fly we're like through. flying through the yeah. air and everyone's looking like side glances Jesus to each other like Christ. oh yeah. no this yeah. is gonna be a long hour it's one of them <laughs> but yeah i think a lot of people when they hear wrist lock self-defense if they're not a part of jujitsu or if they don't know much about martial arts they just think of the bullshit stuff well, absolutely but you know i think every technique in every martial arts that way i mean 
look, there's very few martial arts that are as real as jujitsu, and, and and here's what I mean by that. If I if 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 somebody says, hey, I can punch your arm and your elbow is going to explode, right? I can say, hey, punch my fucking arm and make my elbow explode. And they're like, well, I can't do that to you, right? I'm like, no, just, just you have my permission, just do it. They, they will refuse because it's so deadly. It's like the dim mock. If I touch your chest in this position, your heart will stop and explode. Just do it, but you're going to die. That's okay, kill me. You know, like they, they won't do it, right? But... I'm willing to take those bets, right? But nobody's willing to take a bet that, hey, let me get an arm bar and then I'll hit in really, really hard. And if your arm doesn't break, then then you win. Nobody takes me on that. No. Like, it's almost like they know that shit's real. Do you want to issue? I've tried to get you to issue different <laughs> challenges. Do you want that? Do you want to issue that challenge? Hey, it could, it doesn't have to be me. Okay. If, if you're, if you are decently proficient at jujitsu and you can do an arm bar, Anybody says that shit doesn't work on me. Tell them to let you start with a full arm bar, right? And let you hip in as hard as you want before they can try to escape and see if they can get out, right? Because there's no instance where I have a perfect arm bar and I hip into it really, really hard. And your arm bows where it doesn't break. Like, it will always break. Although the one person you do that to will probably be someone who's insanely double jointed. It'll still break. <laughs> you 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 confuse my level of commitment. <laughs> yeah, you'll hyperextend it and then realize that angle won't work and then you just rip it to the side. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> no, but but my point though is like if you if you look at street fights, right? So and, and I'm not knocking on any striking arts at all, but if you look at street fighting it's okay to, to see two people beating the shit out of each other, like throwing punches and kicks and headbutts and even like stomping them when they're on the ground. That's all okay to do, right? Quote unquote, okay to do. But you watch those same street fights. The moment that somebody gets an arm bar or a choke, everybody's like, oh my God, let loose. You crossed a line, right. man. It's like all of a sudden they understand that this is where the real danger is at. This is where it's really real. There's stuff that you can't recover from. Not right? when you're kicking someone's unconscious head right. into the pavement. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's almost instinctual that something horrible has is about to happen. So for someone who is curious about getting into wrist locks, they're, they're, they're wrist lot curious what would you say to start off because a lot of people oh, listening man. might not have an instructor who either knows a lot about wrist locks or likes them or wants yeah, to teach them that's like a that's a really loaded question because any instructionals you see out there on wrist locks are generally speaking purely garbage okay. and not worth it any videos you see on wrist locks out there tend to be very heavily on the mystical side of those weird martial arts we talked about earlier where people are flying across the room. So that's the that's the issue is there's no good instructionals. There's no, actually, let me rephrase, there's no legitimately good instructionals. There's good production instructions, but as far as wrist locks go, there's not actually really solid ones out there. Um, and And... If you look YouTube or Instagram, you're going to get a lot of nonsense, a lot of like mystical shit wrist locks that don't work. What, what's a common thing you see in all these videos that you just kind of have to roll your eyes at? Um, to put it bluntly, loss of control, right? Um, 
if you think of so wrist locks fall in this weird scenario where like an arm bar let's say an arm bar for mount you control the upper body you control the midsection you control the joint you lock it in place you extend and you break that the elbow right well wrist locks only work if you can ensure that the opponent is not moving outside of its uh, realm of application so if you can't control the body you're not going to usually get the wrist lock right so in a lot of the videos that you see there's not a lot of control or they go so far into the other extreme of tying this person up in like these incredibly complex ways to at which point you just stop a little earlier and get a better submission or, or, or a easier submission, a better but an easier submission by not having to do these additional 50 steps. So I, it's, it's, there's nobody, I haven't seen footage or videos of anybody within the pla- a practical application of a wrist lock that has practical levels of control and practical levels of finishing mechanics and like i said i'm not saying that they're not out there i just haven't come across them and 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 for everybody listening i'm not the only person that wrist locks you know there's just not many of us that are any good around so well, are, you, are you the are you the sith lords or are you the uh, pr- <laughs> prestigious like jedi oh no we're like we're not- like the bastardized sith lords from deep, deep in the dark force. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like we're like we're like the redheaded stepchild to the black sheep of the family. The Sith Lords don't even want to claim. No, no, we're we're those guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we we have we have this person who's going. All right, I I, I want to get into wrist locks. What 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 do I do, Croiler? It's it's hard because if your instructor doesn't know wrist locks or doesn't allow for wrist locks or bears the stigma against wrist locks wrist locking will be an easy way to get kicked out of a school or to be shunned or shamed for it um on the other hand if you do find an instructor that doesn't care they may they themselves may not know enough to teach you correctly um you know and and it's it it becomes an uphill battle because then you you start becoming like self-taught on it and it doesn't always work that way just like jiu-jitsu is very hard to self-teach um yeah i don't know it's 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 a tough situation if somebody wants to learn about wrist locks and they don't have access to good instruction and and or they're not allowed to apply what they know it's it's tough I, i don't know what to tell them let's say someone's at a school where they they do allow people to use wrist locks and someone wants to start using them it What's the safest way? What's the best way to start using them without hurting all the people you train with? Practice them enough in just in drilling to where you get a very good affinity for when it's right and when it's incorrect and also for the amount of intensity you need to do. You also need to understand who you're grappling with because the thing with wrist locks is generally speaking, when you apply a wrist lock, it causes either a forward or a backward shift in their hips. And if you're bearing weight in either direction and they they move, they may throw you on top of the wrist and cause the wrist to break and they'll blame you for it. So understanding if they're spazzy or, or unpredictable, they may not be the person to practice in a live role because you may hurt them. Um, until you have better control, of course. Once you have good control, then it doesn't really matter, but at least while you're learning. And I think asking questions, you know, did this work? Were you really trapped? You know, could you get out? And, 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 and kind of troubleshooting that way. What about 
people who are wanting to avoid wrist locks? Uh, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I would learn them. Can't defend a jab if you don't know what a jab is, right? Can't defend a wrist lock if you don't know where it's coming from. Mm. Just like leg locks. There's a lot of people that learn leg locks just so they don't get caught in it. You know, you have to know where it's coming from, how the braking mechanics are, so you can learn to disrupt, disable, remove control, and counterattack. Is the only way to escape a wrist lock to just avoid it altogether? Because Oh, no. No, no, no. There's, depends on what kind of application, what kind of wrist lock you're applying. If you're looking for like a like a hyperextension or a compression wrist lock, those tend to need two components, the wrist and the elbow. If the elbow is free, the wrist doesn't tap. Um, if you're looking at rotational, that becomes a upper body movement. You know, can they, can you move away from the source of rotation? Um, it, it depends on, on what wrist lock. And, and of course, if you, if you understand them, you can avoid them from happening, but knowing how to finish the finishing mechanic, you can learn to disrupt that later. Should you get caught in one? Yeah, absolutely. Are any wrist locks illegal in competition? I think for the, the longest, the last 20 years, they've been illegal in just about any competition. Oh. Yeah, I think they, they started becoming more and more legalized in certain competition settings and certain rule settings in the past five years where you start to see like blue belts are okay to do or purples or browns or if it's no gi or if it's in the gi. Um, you know, it, it's a slow moving thing. It's moved far slower than, than the leg lock, you know, legalization. Right. My next question was going to be, what's the state of wrist locks and competition today? But you kind of just, just answered it right there. Well, don't get me wrong. They, they're still being used because there's a lot of competitions that don't necessarily flat out outlaw the wrist lock because the stigma is so strong that people just don't do it. There's no reason to talk about it. Um, but you are seeing more over the last five or six years, you're seeing more and more wrist locks in, in tournaments. And there's some really great examples of wrist locks and their effectivity in, in matches. And, and, you know, somebody listening to this can say, well, you can give us three or four examples because those are the only true three or four that come to mind. That, that may be true, but the reality is there may have only been about, you know, three or four attempts at a legitimate wrist lock in the last five or six years. You know, um, it's it's hard to see somebody applying it right. It's like saying every failed armbar is a ding against an armbar, which is true, it is. But those people applying armbar at least know what an armbar is. <laughs> Most people applying wrist locks don't know what a wrist lock is. Do you see any time in the future where wrist locks have their moment of the sun or will they always just be the the place under the stairs or in the shadows man people are always looking for an edge as as communication and knowledge the, the spreading of knowledge becomes more more easy more fluid um people will reach a level where they roughly all know the same thing they roughly all have the same physical preparation they all have the same diet and the same routine they're all competing roughly the same they will need an edge and it may be wrist locks it may be wrestling like look at Abu Dhabi this year the edge was wrestling right who can score the, the points on a takedown it may come down to where if everything is equal the wrist locks may be the, the great divider but you know it, it won't be for a long time especially every time since there every time there's a wrist lock immediately the crowd splits into two you know 
oh shame look at this this is embarrassing this guy had to wrist lock somebody else or oh my god this is genius mm-hmm. right where if somebody does a you know like a flying like like Gary Tonin in Abu Dhabi this year he did um Kami Basami was like the scissor takedown into heel hook and you know people are like oh my god that is incredible like nobody goes that was a cheap ass shot because he did it in like it was like the fastest submission of it he was like 15 seconds long nobody shamed him for catching a guy unexpected right because it's a heel hook it's a true submission but the reality is 10 years ago a heel hook was not really looked much different than a wrist lock is be honest are you hoping for that because in your mind you're trying to set yourself set, set yourself up as the wrist lock messiah no no are you no, sure no. are you yeah, sure you know you don't want to be like the second coming of no of the wrist lock no i have i have no desires if people want to know what i know i'll gladly share it with them but i think uh i don't i don't think i have a, an ego big enough to say i can influence the culture that way okay well I'm gonna say let's cut cut right there. That's that's a good episode on wrist locks. Uh, before we end, while we're talking about messiahs and you being a savior, let let's quickly hop back. Whoa, what? <laughs> let's come again. Let's quickly hop back to to the world where you are saved the savior of the barbarians. Oh my God! I don't remember where we are. Oh, don't Why worry, are you my doing friend. This to me? Don't worry, my friend. Just a very quick recap. You were uh, oh, you were walking God. down the street with your wife. You started rolling with someone in an alley, and then people jumped you. A eagle picked you up, took you away. You ended up in this weird laboratory. You <laughs> ran out. The cops arrived at the place. You were then pulled into a portal by a guy who said, "Come follow me." And then you got the zombie animals too. The zombie animals were in that laboratory. Yep, and then you appeared in this forest with all these barbarians who needed your help and the Gekklar were these lizard people who were coming. Fucking Gekklars. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, uh, they said, here's a sword. It was uh, a talking sword okay. that you discovered uh, named Eladriel and you grabbed it. And, you remember that shit? <laughs> yeah. And, and she was able to guide your hands and kill all the Gekklar. They're like, wow, you're amazing. Let's go back and celebrate our camp. Boom. Sure. Up to speed? Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> All right, so we fast forward to the next morning, and you are in a a hut with many um, hides covering it. You're in a bed with a nice warm fur comforter, and you're looking around, and you can kind of see out the the door of this this hut, and there are, it, it looks like there's a huge party the night before. Okay. Okay. Um, you're just in you're you're in bed, and all of a sudden, a young man walks up and says, "Savior." Uh, wanted you to know the chieftain has summoned you okay so, so so should i tell him you're gonna come see him yeah i suppose i'll go see him okay yeah when you walk out this door just uh just walk straight out you're gonna see a a, uh, a little totem with a big uh, naked man and you're gonna take a left at that <laughs> and you're gonna walk to the totem with the other <laughs> naked man and you're gonna take a right and then his is the big the big uh, uh hut that has a uh, hippopotamus dancing on the top okay all right, so uh, hippopotamus dancing on the top. Right, I like yeah. how you said that with with like a voice, and you didn't crack up laughing. <laughs> this is serious. I take this very seriously. Clearly, I mean, please you don't have laugh. notes on your computer. Please, please don't laugh. Uh, I don't have notes on this computer. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> so you walk up. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to tell you what you do. You're in bed, and 
Uh, so I, I, I walk to this chieftain that summoned me, the savior of this people. Well, when you get to the door, your hip, there's this intense burning sensation. Uh-huh. And you wince and you fall down. And then you you are kind of, you feel like you're hip being drawn towards the corner of the hut. And there you see Eladriel. Yeah. Said, yes. And she, says, she should have been with me the whole time. Yeah, the sword. Does. Why would I leave without my sword? Well, and remember, you guys are bound for life. Right. She said, I uh, hold on, I have to remember my accent. Uh, um, or not. It, it we was, can just move on. It's it was fine. southern. That's it. I, I got it. Oh, hello, Croyla. You gonna <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna head to the chieftain. Why don't you come over here? Oh and, my god. And why don't you put me around your waist? Just strap me right around your waist. Right. So so you connect it. Yeah. All right, you head to the chieftain. Right. You walk in. There's this enormous uh, man, bulbous nose. He's painted in like just green war paint, but it, it's smeared because of a night of a night of debauchery. Uh-huh. And he has a, uh, a, a hippopotamus. I'm on a hippopotamus kick right now you for are, some reason. Yeah, I don't he has a hip, hippo head. Kind of weird on on his They're head. Super violent. Yeah, like they kill more people than sharks. It's crazy. <laughs> I know, which shows how tough this group is. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he he you knew that before this, of course. That's right. Yeah, he he, he says. Uh, <laughs> he says, Ah, Croiler, Savior, thank you for coming. We need your help. We need you to go kill the Geklar warlord. Okay. Jesus, you you would be the worst at making dialogue in a movie. Oh, oh, I'm just like, all right, I can do okay. this. Um, Whatever, bro. So, like, what do I get out of this? Well, uh, the satisfaction of saving a people. <laughs> His people. Uh, my people, but also your people, because you, you are the savior now. <laughs> so does that mean, like, I will be, you know, established? Yes, we we will give you... You already have a harem, which you chose not to spend any time with last night. They're a little offended, but you, you'd have your harem. You, I would give you the largest hut here with the biggest hippopotamus dancing on top. <laughs> that sold it. That sold it. That sold it. Yeah. Now, I, I guess I should I should just mention, keep in mind, you do have your family back home. There is the real world. Right. Are you, I just, are you choosing to, to leave them behind? And, and Well, I need to, you know... I didn't think about how you get back, but I got a problem at hand right now. That's true. Yeah, so you solve the problem at hand. Yeah, that, that is true. I mean, so you, I guess you do kind of have to keep in Maybe I find out that these hippopotamus people, they're actually the bad guys in the story. I don't know this yet. Yeah, that, that is very true. All right, so we have captured the sommelier of the chieftain. Wow. And I know you wouldn't think like a, 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 a Geckler chieftain yeah. would have a Somalier. It's yeah. a little fancy for him. But, yeah, a little uh, bit, yeah. But I think if you were to question him, you may get some information, and that would help you. Sure, I guess, I could, I guess I could question. I'll bite. All right, well, Croyler, why don't we go see what he has to offer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And, and you feel your hip just kind of like vibrate like a little like encouraging tap. So you, so you walk out, okay. and, and, and you see this Geckler who's, who's covered in... Uh, uh, rags just around his waist. He he's he's been beaten and all that. Got it. Looks like they've roughed him up a bit, yeah. and he's yeah. just kind of he's sitting down in this cage. Oh, I'm supposed to. Inter- okay, all right. It's, it's so up, it's up to you. Okay, so uh, ask him. You know, why did they attack the hippopotamus people? I, I. Why did I? 
What was it? I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> Why did they attack the hippopotamus, hippopotamus people? Wait, there aren't hippopotamus people. Oh, are you calling the barbarians hippopotamus people? Yeah, because they, they're obviously okay. into this hippopotamus thing. Got it. I did not attack them. I was simply transporting a new batch of wine to my boss and they kidnapped me. Well, wait, why did your boss attack the hippopotamus people, the barbarians? Because they're filth. They deserve to be exterminated. Why? Because, look at them. They don't have scales. They don't have yellow eyes. They they are wearing hippopotamuses so on their... That's it? I mean, that's one reason. I, why, why do we want to attack them? Because we want power. We want, we want to subjugate them. So they're kind of like the, the Nazis of this barbarian world. Are you asking me or are you asking this? Asking you. Me? Uh, I, yeah, they're, they're monsters for sure. Yeah, so at that point, then I just kill this guy and move wait, on. Wait, but hold on. He might have information you I need. need. I got the magical fucking sword, man. I can do whatever I want. But you don't know where this chieftain is. Oh, I will find him. <laughs> All right, the magical sword isn't like Siri. You, you don't say, uh, Siri, get, oh, okay. hey, Siri, so give me directions. It's not a whole magical sword. It's only magical in certain ways. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, All just right. like. So I would cut off his arm. <laughs> Ooh, okay. All right. So, describe this for me. How does it? How do you cut his arm off? Pull the sword out and chop off his arm. In one fell swoop. Oh, crawl! Hold on. This may be un- unethical. And you cut him off, and he, ah, like blood curdling screams. This can hurt a whole lot for a whole long time, or it can be very quick. All right, fine. You, you monster. You just like these animals. <laughs> Here, and and he, he reaches. Reaches deep in his tunic to the point where you're a little uncomfortable. Tunic. With, with his, uh, I'm carbs. sorry. His, his, yeah, his uh, his, on, his, his waistband. <laughs> my, my apologies. Uh, and, and I, I'm literally putting my hand in my pants to. Do, I'm sorry for acting this out. Um, he he reaches out and pulls out this this uh, bloody map now and and hands it to you, and you open it up and it says it's almost like cartoonish. It says like chieftain with like big X and it has like a, like a, a dashed line. Right. So, so I know how to follow it. Yeah. So now you get to follow it. Yeah. So we're going to end it right there. Okay. Okay. Good job. All right. <laughs> it's been a while since we were in this world, but, uh, yeah, it's been very awkward still. <laughs> You're right. So I think we need to be in it more. So it feels a little no, smoother, a little no, more natural. No, I don't, I don't think so. And did I sense a little, will they, won't they between you and Aladriel? What? Like a little will they won't they chemistry where no. you guys are you I'm positive. I know, it was kinda like a Ross and Rachel dynamic. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm looking forward to seeing where that develops. I'm, I'm this sure, might I'm turn sure, into a romantic sure comedy. Are, yeah. <laughs> All right, well that's it for this episode. Uh it's, it's, this is a good way to go out with a with a bang, a, an educational bang on this yeah, episode. Something. <laughs> All right, goodbye everyone. <laughs>